morning, church. Uh, so, we are in this sermon series. We have two weeks left. We have this week and next week. Um, typically, here at the Grove, uh, we verse, we we verse, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Um, and then in between that, we'll do some sort of topical study. Uh, we've been doing this sermon uh, series called When We Gather. Uh, and we're talking about all the different things we do when we gather. Uh, we, we talked about gathering. Why do we even gather on Sundays, right? Uh, we talked about we serving one another, praying together, singing, preaching, taking communion. And now uh, we're talking about giving. Uh, and so I know this subject can, can cause some of us to get tense and be like, oh, you know, like some of us have bad experiences with churches and money, and so I just want everyone to relax. Um, I'm not, I don't want anything from you, but what I want is something for you, okay? I want your soul to be more free than it is. Where money is our God and it's our pursuit and it's what we want and desire, our soul gets entangled in worshiping things that aren't God. And so what I want is to free us from that. And generosity and giving is how God has designed to do that. So we're going to talk about giving. We're going to get through it. You guys can breathe out. You can relax. Um, it might make some of you uncomfortable, but it's okay. Unco un just because something's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's bad. So you guys excited? Yeah? Cool. Okay. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. I know we just read from 2 Corinthians uh, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, because what I, what I want us to do is I want us to have a right lens by which we view all that we have, okay? So Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on this earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and, over, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. See, this story on the sixth day of creation, God creating man and, and God give, creating man in his image and God giving everything over to man, giving man dominion over everything. And we, we kind of see it again in uh, chapter 2, 7. It's a retelling of the story, a little less poetic, but good. And so we want to read that as well. So chapter 2, you just kind of go down a little bit, or maybe over, turn the page, I don't know. But look at chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then jump down to verse 15, says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat out of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. So God creates everything, he creates man, he puts man in the garden, say, all of this is yours. Work it and keep it. There's this one tree you don't eat, but everything else is yours. He gives man dominion over everything. What I want us to see from the very beginning of this story, very beginning of creation, we own nothing. You today own nothing. You don't, we don't own anything Everything we have has been given to us by God. Just in the beginning, Adam and Eve, God gave them 
God gave them everything, but they were to be his viceroys, to be his image bearers in those things, to, for them to steward it well, to grow it, to keep it. But it was God's. We don't own anything. Just like my kids don't own anything. They, they like to say that's mine all the time, but they don't actually have anything. My, my daughter loves to take things from my sons and say, it's mine, that's mine. And I love to lovingly and kindly remind her that she doesn't own a thing. Nothing's hers. It's all mine. If I could, I've given it to her and I could take it away from her. If I please, she has nothing. It's more loving than that, I promise. But I like to remind her of that. Just like my kids, they love to buy me Christmas gifts, right? But they don't actually buy me Christmas gifts. They use my money <laughs> to buy me gifts that I may or may not want but they liked, right? Uh, on Christmas morning, when I open up gifts from my kids, I have gained nothing financially, right? Like, I have gifts that were worth um, the amount before I got them. I had that money in my bank account. Now I no longer have it, but I have, you know, a toy that my son wants to play with me with. I think he just wanted it. I'm not sure when he's going to grow out of that, but that's what we have going on. I don't gain anything. So, like, everything my kids have is mine. In the same way, everything that we have is God's. We don't have anything. Like, you may, you may, that may rub you the wrong way and be like, you know what, oh, I've worked hard for what I have. Well, you, God gave you your work ethic. Some of us have really good work ethics because we had really good dads who taught us work ethics. You didn't choose your dad. You didn't choose whoever taught you that work ethic. You didn't choose, maybe, maybe it wasn't your dad, maybe just the circumstances you grew up, maybe it was the fact that you didn't have a dad that you learned a good work ethic. You didn't choose those circumstances that formed you into who you are today. God did. Everything you have, whether it's your work ethic, whether it's, it's your responsibility, your ability to do things, the fact that you are good at a certain skill and you're smarter than people over here, you have business sense, everything you have is because God's given it to you. Whether you've read it or you've studied, some of us have no desire to read and study. You do because God has gifted that to you, right? So everything, I don't, like we could go, I can keep going, you're, I'm a carpenter, I'm really good with my hands. I'm not, and no amount of practice will make me a good carpenter, I promise you. I will just start losing fingers, and it's going to go bad. But some of you are just good at it because God's given you everything. It's because God's given it to you. From the beginning, God gave it. He gives it graciously and generously to all. Some of us have more, or we think we have more because of the way we view money and finances. We think we have more. Some of us have smaller amounts, but everything we own is because God has given. James says, the book of James that we just went through a few weeks ago, or several weeks ago now, says every good gift is from God the Father. All that we have comes from God. Now, how, so we're supposed to be God's, we're spo we have dominion over creation. God has given us uh, everything. We are to be his image bearers. And this, this image bearers, I, I think the idea of us being created in the image of God has been skewed over time. Um, we like to think about, you know, us being created in the image of God means that we're kind of like God in some ways, right? So like because God's creative, that, you know, he created us in his image, we're creative. Because God uh, has the capacity for love. We have the capacity for love. And so we think about us being created. We're like God. We're in his image. There's things about God, characteristics, traits that he has created in us. And that is true, but it's not the context in which we read it in here today. The context we see the image bearers of God today in this passage is the fact that we are to bear his image to his creation. What I mean by that, think about, think about ancient civilizations and empires. If, if, I'm an, if I'm an emperor and I want to show my dominion over my land, what do I do? You erect statues in the cities that bear your image, that anyone who comes to that city is going, oh, this is Caesar's. Oh, this is Pharaoh's. We, we erect these statues in our image. Even It goes today. Like when, when we went into Iraq as a country, we tore down a statue of Saddam Hussein. Like this didn't end in, in this century, right? So like this continues on today where we erect statues that bear our image as it, where we, uh, where rulers decide they, they rule and reign. And so God has created us to be his image bearers over all of creation so that when people look at us, what they should see is a good king who is generous, rules rightly and lovingly over his creation. He's given us the job to rule for him to have dominion for him, to be his viceroy, so that when people look at it, they know, oh, this is the king's. And they're, and they're imaging him well. So we're his image bearers over creation. He's given us all things, and he's placed us into those things to bear his image to all people. And I want us to start there, 
so that we see two things. I just said it, that everything you have is not yours. It's God's. You're what we'd call a steward of those things. You are to steward them well. God's given them to you so that you can steward them. You can rule and reign over what God's given you well. How or what's the end goal? To show the world that God is good. To show the world who God is by the way in which you rule and have dominion over what he's given you. So he gives things, and then, but he also begins to ask things back from us, okay? Uh, I'm not, we're not going to go there, but in Exodus, God, God saves his people out of slavery, right? We went over this last week talking about communion and Passover. God saves his people out of slavery in Egypt. And before they come out of Egypt, God gives them gold and silver from their neighbors. So they leave Egypt with a bunch of gold and a bunch of silver. They get out of Egypt. They, they do melt some of it down to make this golden calf thing. That went bad. Um, don't do that. But what, the, what later what God would say is, hey, I want that gold and silver back. We're building the tabernacle. So God asks for that back to be given back to God's work, to be given back to the worship as a part of worship of God and building, his, building up his people through the tabernacle. And so God gives us all things. He, gives it, he rule, lets us rule over those things. We are to rule over in such a way that shows who he is. And then he's free to ask for those things back any way that he wants because they're his. Okay. So if everything is not ours, everything is God's, nothing's ours, what do we do with it? How do we image him well? Well, Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll go next, and we'll make it, I promise we'll make it to 2 Corinthians soon. Matthew chapter 6, the gospel of Matthew is Matthew writing and recording Jesus' life and ministry, his death and his resurrection. And in chapter 6, he's in the middle of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. So it's Jesus preaching this sermon to the masses. Uh, the sermon was so good, a lot of people would leave and not, and not follow Jesus anymore afterwards. Um, so when people leave after I preach, I feel like I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Um, so he preaches this sermon, and in, cha- in uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 19, he begins to talk about money. And this is what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. So we have this uh, saying, Jesus is going to keep talking about money. We're going to get to the rest of it, but this part seems tough enough already, so let's chat about it. Um, So Jesus is saying there's two ways to, to use your money. You can lay up for treasure for yourself. It will eventually be destroyed. Moth and rust will eat it. Or you can lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. You can invest in something other than what's on this earth. Invest in the heavenly kingdom, and and that will never rust or be destroyed. There's two ways to invest your money on this earth, okay? Um, You can buy stuff and gather up stuff for yourself, or you can invest in the, uh, the kingdom of heaven, and that will always be there. When we, when we think about buying stuff for ourselves, um, just, just, just so you guys know, like, all of the stuff that you buy will eventually go to a yard sale, right? Like, that's just true. Um, whether it's yours or your kids, because they don't want all your junk when you pass away. They want to get rid of it. They want to liquidate it. They don't want cash. They don't want your, they don't want your, your cabinets. They don't want your Hoosier or whatever. I don't even know what that is. My wife has one, though. It's like some sort of cabinet with, like, a, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but we have one. We don't, the kids don't want that. They, they want money. So they're going to, all your stuff's going into a yard sale, okay? Like you can, you can gather all the stuff that you want, but eventually someone's going to buy it for a lot less to give your kids cash or yourself. Um, even things like we think like, oh, I'm going to buy gold and silver, and that'll always, like gold and silver are only as valuable as man makes them out to be, okay? So like everything you have is not going to last forever. It's just not. Whether it burns up in the end or it's destroyed today, it's not going to last. But there is a way to invest in stuff that always lasts. There's a way in which we give, a way in which we lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven that will not rust or destroy, a moth will never eat. And then Jesus has this um, this little chipper phrase here that I love. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Here's what Jesus doesn't say. When he's talking about, you want to know where your heart is? He doesn't say, 
um, go look at your church attendance. If you want to know, know where your heart is, look at how often you go to church. He doesn't say that. You want to know where your heart is? See how much about the Bible you know. He doesn't say that. He doesn't talk about, and, and hey, look, we love you guys coming on Sundays. We preached a whole sermon about it, this sermon series, how we should gather regularly. Don't be like those who, who neglect to gather, but we gather regularly. And we love biblical theology. We just sent a bunch of women off to a biblical theology workshop, and it was fantastic. We are about those things. But we can say those things with our mouth really easily. We could, sh- we could show up on church and be lying to everyone. We could, we could learn all we want to know about this, like the Pharisees, and spout out. And we could just destroy at Bible Jeopardy and our hearts be far from God. But something that can't lie is your wallet. Like, you, you, you can say, I love God, and we get into your bank statements. Like, no, you really love fly fishing. Like, I know you say you love God, but what you really like is sports. I know you say you love God, but what we're looking at it, it looks like what you love is, is really good clothing from stores. That's what you love. And so we can, like, that won't lie. So Jesus is saying, if you want to know where your heart is, if you want to know where your heart is, look at your money. Where is your money going? Fly fishing, sports, clothing are not bad things. Everyone should wear clothing, okay? Let's just be honest. And, and some of us should, should, should wear more clothing than others. Like, it's just, or, you know, like, looser clothing. I'm trying, I'm, I moved up a size um, in my clothing, so I have to buy bigger shirts now. Um, it's embarrassing, but uh, that's why you might see some of the same shirts every Sunday. We're trying to work on that, uh, both in, in getting more shirts or losing weight. So we're going to figure out the fastest way to do that. But some of us should buy clothing. Some of us should play sports hard and fun. Fly fishing is great. The thing about fly fishing, sports, and clothes, they just make really, really crummy gods. And where, it's where you put your heart into fly fishing, it just takes one bad day, uh, a game warden who had a bad day who comes and finds you, just to ruin your attitude in your day, right? When it comes to clothing, it could take you just spilling something on yourself. Something snagging on a fence just to ruin your day and make you frustrated that your brand new shirt that you just spent that much money on got ruined. Sports, it could take some 20-year-old dude dropping a ball to just ruin your weekend. That's weird, right? But it happens all the time. So you put your money in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you know, the Dish TV direct package, pay $600 a year, I'm going to go to the game, and, and those are great things. Do it. But they're crummy gods. And so we don't want to invest into those things. We want to invest in the kingdom of God. We want to invest in something that will never disappoint us, something that won't let us down, something that will never be destroyed. Now look, you're still going to do those things because those are good things. You're, st- you're going to have to provide for your family because that's part of the kingdom of God. You're going to have to have a roof. So it's not saying you just give everything you have and be homeless and rejoice in poverty. No. We, we steward the gifts that God has given us in a way that glorifies him. The way we, in which we, we spend our money and the way in which we invest our money, it should demand a gospel explanation. Like, people should look at you and be like, man, you spend your money like that? Like, why? Why do you do that? You make enough money to buy a better, drive a better car. You make enough money to have a bigger house. Why don't you have a bigger house? Like, it should demand a gospel explanation. If you want to know where your heart is, just see where your money's going. Just look at your wallet. Martin Luther would, would say that there's three conversions that happens to the Christian. A conversion of the mind, a conversion of the heart, and a conversion of the purse. Because all three of those things change when you become a Christian. Okay. So Jesus continues. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. Let's keep reading. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus seems to change the subject about eyes and lamps for a second, and it's a weird little passage. But, but here, here's what James is saying, or not James, here's what Jesus is saying, 
I got so used to being in James for so long. Uh, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that there is a way in which you view money, the way in which you look at money, that will bring light, life, and vitality to you. There's also a way to view money that will bring darkness, perversion, sin, and death into your life. If money is what you pursue, go after, it's what you think about, and it's how you orient your life, gaining money in its possessions, then darkness, death, and destruction will follow you. But if money is a means in which you invest in those around you, in the kingdom of God, and you see money as something that God has given you to steward and to invest into his kingdom well, then your life will be full of light. There's a way we see money. So, so that's why we started in Genesis. I want you guys to, before we talk about giving, what we should do with our money, I want you to see money rightly. Not only do I want you to see money rightly, I want you to see how you currently see money. I want you to look into your own wallets, into your own bank accounts. Like, how do I currently view my money? Is it God's or is it mine and I do with it whatever I want? Or is God giving me my money and I glorify him with it? And so th this is why we start here, and we'll get to 2 Corinthians here in just a second, but we need to see money rightly. We need to pursue treasuring Christ with our money. God has given us all things, even his son to die for us. He's given us a way of salvation. And so our response to that is generosity. If we view things rightly, the right good response to God's generosity is generosity. So we, we, we're going to use the term generosity, which means being open-handed with all that God has given you. Being, lavishing all that God has given you to those around you is, is the idea of generosity. All right, so we're a lot of time in. <laughs> Let's get to our passage for today. It's going to be fine. It's going to be good. We went a little over last time, but I think, I think we're going to be good this time. So don't panic. But we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Are you guys with me still? Okay, good. Because you guys aren't saying anything. Um, and I'm up here alone, it feels like. I just want to make sure you guys are with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, Elisa read it for us. But we're going to read through it and kind of chat about it, okay? It says this. The, the point is this. Whatever, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I, I want to stop there because we've got we to chat about this. Because this verse has been, using, has been used for all sorts of terrible things throughout the years. There's this thing out in the world called the prosperity gospel. Okay? Um, it's, it's a terrible, horrible thing. It's the idea that um, God's main desire for you is that you would be healthy, wealthy, and have good relationships. Despite the fact that our king didn't have enough money to pay taxes or to have a house, one of his best friends betrayed him and he died horribly on a cross. So like God's, God's desire for us is the opposite of God's desire for Jesus. And it's just not true, okay? It's just not. Like if, if your theology and your way of Christian life doesn't fit your God, then something's wrong there. And so we don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but then you get to verses like this where it says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Like if you give a bunch, you'll get a bunch back, right? That's what it seems to be saying here. And this verse has been used to say that. You have dudes on TV with like really nice cufflinks and jets in the background. And they're like, hey, if you want to get out of debt, sow $20 into my ministry so I can get a new jet because mine's breaking down a bunch. And um, if you sow $20, then you'll be debt free like in two years. This is what they're saying to people. And they use verses like this. They use um, words out of verses like this to try and get people to give them 20 bucks so they can fly around by themselves instead of flying around like a normal person and get some new cufflinks, right? So, so real quick, so you guys know, we are talking about money today. I don't own a pair of cufflinks, okay? Um, I, I don't need a jet. I'm fine driving or flying. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching in Knoxville. I'm just going to take, well, hopefully my van's fixed by then. It broke down this week. Um, again, not while we're asking for money. I can fix it myself. Um, but I will be driving to Knoxville and preaching out of church there. And so, like, like, we're, like, we're not asking for that, okay? But people do. And this is not what this verse is talking about. Because if you keep reading, you get it. But people don't keep reading. Each one must give as he is decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What, what is the good work here? Giving, cheerful giving. God will give you all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you can be giving cheerfully. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This is from Psalm 112, verse 9. Um, and, and so in context, this isn't God. This is a man, right? So like we just got to read it, read it in context. So a man has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. And that man's righteousness endures forever. What does that man get back in return for his giving? Something that endures forever. Something stored up in heaven for him. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for uh, food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, so what do you get back sowing? Righteousness. Not more money, not debt-free. You get something that always endures forever. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. So the harvest is righteousness. The harvest is thanksgiving to God. The harvest of our generosity is treasures in heaven and other people seeing that and giving thanks to God. So we're image bearers bearing God's generosity by us being generosity that entices others to give thanks to our God and to our King. This is why we're generous. And, and, and so in Philippians verse, uh, chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll just read it for us. But in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing this letter. Um, he's in prison, and he's writing this to the church in Philippi. And he says this, Yet it was kind of you, the church at Philippi, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, his gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So, so Paul's saying, hey, you guys are the only church that partnered with me and gave to me in my, in my ministry. And, and I'm not seeking after that gift. What I'm seeking is the fruit of that gift. What I'm seeking is gospel ministry. What I'm seeking is the fruit of the gospel going out. This is why he's thankful, not just for the money or the finances or the possessions that he got so that it could help him, but he's, he's thankful because those things allowed him to preach the gospel all over Asia and Europe and allowed the gospel to go forth and churches to be planted. He seeks not the gift, but what the gift buys. He says, I'm not in this for money, I'm in this for gospel gain, that you are sowing in to gospel gain. And he continues, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So his prayer for him, what he's writing back to them after receiving the gifts, saying that what, you, what you're going to get back is the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not more money today or tomorrow. You're not going to get out of debt. What you're going to get is more of Jesus. And so the reason we give is not to get more back of money or financial things on this earth. But the reason we give is because we get more of Jesus. When we enter into the generosity of God and become generous ourselves, we begin to live like Christ. When we begin to live like Christ, we get to see Christ. We get to commune with Christ. We get to have fellowship with Christ in his sufferings and in the power of his resurrection. We get to be with Christ when we're generous. And that's why we do it. We do it to see the gospel go forward and we see it to enter into the work that God has given us. That's what you reap. Not more money, not more stuff. You don't give so you can get. You give so you can have Christ. You give to free your heart, to free your soul 
from the idol of money so you can have more and more of Jesus Christ. That's why we give. And he's going to give us all that we need. And in 2 Corinthians, we read that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times may abound in every good work. He said that he supplies the seed to sow. Like, he's going to allow us to be generous. For some of us, it'll be, it'll be uh, you know, physically more, but it's still generous. If you have a little and you're generous with a little, that's amazing. If you have a lot and you're generous with a lot, that's right and good. We should be generous with whatever the, the supplier of the seed has given us. We're generous with that. We don't have to worry about, oh, I, I can't give as much as that guy because I don't have as much. You just give what, based on what you have. So let's get super practical so we don't go too far over, okay? There's this assumption that we should give here. It says when, when, when they give. Uh, the point is whoever sows sparingly. Like, like there's this assumption there's, there's going to be giving happening um, that each one would give, that each one would give according to his heart. And so uh, we're going to get practical here. I feel like we've hit the why and the reason why and, and that it's about the gospel work. Um, and it's about seeing the gospel of God advance, not just giving because um, we want to get more and back. Because like there's, there's, there's places, I'm not dogging it. I just don't see this as, as definitely going to happen. We're like, hey, just start giving and see what God does. See how much more he'll give you. Like, some of us are going to start giving, and we're not going to get any more. And that needs to be okay with us because we're, we're entering into the work of God. And that should be enough. Right? So we're not going to do some, like, giving challenge. We're like, let's just give for 90 days and see what God will do. Um, because that's just not, not the heart behind this. The heart is we wouldn't give out of, uh, you know, compulsion or, or being reluctant. We'd be cheerful in our giving. See, there, there's this movement today that, you know, we should not care about our feelings, right? We shouldn't care about our feelings. We should care about our feelings, okay? It says to give feeling a certain way, cheerfully. That's a feeling, okay? You can't just choose to be cheerful. You just can't. Like, that's just not, you can pretend to be cheerful, but that's not what it's ta back, talking about. And so the only kind, the only way to give cheerfully is to have a transformed heart of, from the gospel. The gospel frees us up from wanting all this stuff, and it causes us to want Christ and him alone. Then we're able to give cheerfully. We're able to give excitedly because we're really excited about what God's doing in the kingdom, so we want to give to the kingdom. And so we give cheerfully. So let's get practical. How much should you give? Okay, how much should you give? There's this thing called a tithe. Have you guys heard of that? Just heard of tithe? Just, just get, help me out here. Have you guys heard of tithe? Anyone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. You guys are, are still here with us. You tithe. Um, you may have noticed we don't use the word tithe. Um, one thing I really want you guys to to, to know uh, is we're really careful the way we word things because words matter, right? Words matter. Um, God has decided to reveal Himself to us using words. So apparently, words are pretty important and powerful. So we, we speci now sometimes people will slip, sometimes someone will do announcements and say the wrong word, that's fine. But we purposely strive to use certain words. Like we don't, we, we call this a gathering on purpose because what we're doing, we're gathering. Um, and, and, and when we talk about giving, we, usually, we typically just use the word giving. Because a tithe is this Old Testament thing called where, where God told the uh, people of Israel to give the first 10% of their crops and livestock to the work of the ministry at the temple and the, and the priest. The first 10%. And so we, uh, people have taken that and said, oh, that's the tithe. And so we should give 10% today. Um, th there, there's a couple problems with that. Uh, the first one is, is that's not all they were to give. That was their regular giving was 10%. Okay? Um, there was also yearly offerings. There was um, other things. They, there was times where uh, they would have to forgive debts of people, which is like basically giving a lot away. So there was like a lot of giving going. If you actually go back and you calculate all the giving God commanded the Israelites is more like 22, 23% um, of all their stuff every year. And, and so, so when we talk about tithes, we're, we're missing the point because tithe wasn't really uh, meant to be all the Israelites were giving. Also, Jesus said we're no longer under the law. We, we don't have, we're not, like, like the tithe isn't something that's commanded in the New Testament for us to do. Um, it's, it's, it's actually a lot different than that. The command of the New Testament is to be generous to be cheerful givers. 
for some of us, that's going to be less than 10%. For some of us, it's going to be a lot more than 10%. We're called to be generous. Okay? Like, like, John Piper put it this way, if you, had, if you had a coach of a sports team, if you ever played sports, so I, I know I lost some of you guys, some of you guys don't play sports, um, but if you ever played sports or you could imagine playing sports, if you had a coach at, like a, at, a, at, a, at a school level say, hey guys, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna uh, win this year, what, you, what I want you to do is you're going to wake up at 4 o'clock every morning, you're going to run 3 miles, you're going to do 100 push-ups, let's say it's basketball, you're going to do th- 300 jump shots, that's what you're going to do every single day, that's what you're doing. And then you had another coach kid said, came and said, hey, guys, I w- we really want to win this year. Like, we want to show our town and our school that we could do this. We could beat these other schools. We can play the hardest. We could work the hardest. And we can, we can just do all that we can to win. What that means, we're going to have to change our lives to do this. We're going to have to eat differently. We're going to have to get up diff- earlier. We're going to we're gonna st- go to bed earlier. Like this, for us to do this, it's going to change everything about us for us to accomplish our goals. Which coach is asking more of their players? The second coach. Thanks, Trey. The second coach. You guys are so tired. This is, is it the weather? Is that what's happening? Has <laughs> this gone on too long? Should we just end it? No, like we're almost done. The second coach is asking more. But the second coach is also pulling on the heart and saying, this is why we're doing it. And he's saying, this is what this is about. We're not just, do, we're not just doing this stuff so we can do this stuff. We're doing it to accomplish something amazing. The New Testament's the second coach. It's not just give 10%. It's give your whole life over to God. It's give everything to him. Now look, um, the reason we do it is to glorify God. Would it glorify God if you gave everything away and your family was homeless? No. So you're gonna have to save some for your family and, and steward well by loving your family well but we should be generous to those around us. We should be generous to our neighbors. We should be generous to the local church. We should be generous. So how much do we give? It's going to be different for all of us. If we're being honest, if a middle-class American family is giving away 10%, they're probably stealing from God. Like You don't need 90% of a middle-class family income to live in America. You don't. Like, your life should look different than those in the same tax bracket as you. Like, you should, like, like let's say, like, you had a, like, a, like let's, I know not a lot of us don't, let's say you had, a, like, a job at a, a, corp- a place, corporation, and you and a bunch of people made the same amount of money. Like, everyone's just like, hey, we make, we make 30 grand a year. Let's just say, like, let's just keep it, keep it that. Y- your life should look different than everyone else who makes 30 grand a year who's not a Christian. Like, they should vacation more than you. They should have nicer cars than you. They should have bigger houses than you. Because there should be things that we as Christians say no to in this world because we've given to the kingdom. There should be things that we've had to say, you know what, I, I can't get a new car. I'm going to have to buy used and save up some money to fix that thing because I'm giving some money away. You know what, I'm going to go on, on, on two vacations this year instead of the third like all my friends because I, I, we just don't have the money anymore. We gave to this family. We gave to this project. We did this. Like, there should be things we say no to. Our lives, the way we handle our finances, should demand a gospel explanation. Like, why, why don't you drive a nicer car? My father, I didn't show the story of the first service because he was sitting right here. My father-in-law, uh, was, he, he, was a law, he's, he is a lawyer, and when he was a lawyer, he started working at a firm, and, and his partners literally had to be like, hey, man, um, you need to get a nicer car. You're embarrassing us. Like, it, like, we all have Jaguars, and you're driving this, like, old dumpy Impala up here. And Impala, it was nice when it first came out, but it's, like, 40 years old. So, like, so like his partner's literally, like, he had, he had, a, go- he had a gospel explanation. Like, no, I, I, just, I just don't want to spend that kind of money on a car because it doesn't matter to me. I don't drive that far to get to work. Like, our lives should have that kind of explanation to the people around us. Everyone's going to have to decide how much they give on their own. There's a million different ways to do it. Real quickly, I know some people who just decide this is how much we need to live, and then we're, everything above that, we're going to give. Um, and so some people, like, it's literally, like, as they get raises, they just give, they give more away. They don't increase their lifestyle at all. They're like, hey, we need 50 grand a year to live. We don't want a 4,000-square-foot house. We like our, our you know, 1,100-square-foot house. We like our cars the way they are. Um, we're going to make 50 grand, and, and now they're making, like, 100, 100-something, and they're just giving away over 50% of their money because they don't need more. 
Some people, it's just a percentage. It's like 5%, 10%, 15%, 20 30%. They have a percentage, and as they make more money in life, they're just giving away more because that's how percentages work. This is, like, you guys got to decide in your own heart, how am I going to decide how much I can give? I think it means you're going to have to have a budget. I know that's weird and hard, I think, but I think you're going to have to look at your finances and think, how much do I need every month to live? And how much can, not how much do I have to give away, God, how much can I give away? I know, I know my, my, you know, our parents, some, some of us in my generation, our parents didn't do a good job passing down budgeting to us. Schools stopped teaching accounting and budgeting at some point, a lot of them. But we're going to have to, like, Google some stuff, check some things out. You can go to IWasBrokeNowImNot.com. It's a real website. Um, IWasBrokeNowImNot.com. And there's a ladder there of, like, hey, there's just steps on how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to give generously. And so we have these tools, like, learn to do it and decide in your own heart how much you're going to give. How much you give. I can't tell you how much you should give. But what you need to do is go to your check, to your, to your bank statement with a gospel lens of God's given me everything. How do I steward this well? And figure out how much you can, not how much you have to, how much you can. Okay, so, you, so you've decided we're going to give so much away. Where do you give it to? This is where it's going to get uncomfortable because my answer is this. I think the primary place where you give money to is the local church. Um, There's a ton of reasons for this. There's a ton of incredible ministries out there. But if the local church fails, those ministries, it's just a matter of time before they become unbiblical because they have no one teaching them. They have no one shepherding the leaders of those ministries. They have no one caring for those ministries. The local church has to succeed for those ministries to work. So this is where you give your money to the local church. And I'm not saying the Grove. Like, if this is uncomfortable for you, like, I don't like Zach's asking for money. I want to go someplace else. Go someplace else. But my command to you there would be give to them. Give all that you can to them. So decide how much you can give. I'm not saying give everything to local church, but decide how much you can give. Give the vast majority of that to your local church. And above that, I know a dude who just keeps an envelope in his safe. Um, and he, he puts, like, the, the extra he doesn't give to the church, he puts it in an envelope. And then when needs come up in this home group or, you know, someone's going on a mission trip, he just goes to the envelope and, like, how much do you need? You, know, you, need, you need this much? Here you go. Like, he's just, he, has, he saves it up until, he need, until a need comes up. But, but, so he's given to other things, but he's very generous to the local church first. This should be our primary. And here's, here's a couple reasons why, besides the ministries will fail. Um, all the things that you want to do in this world are, are going to happen through the local church. Like, if you're passionate about ending, like, the slave trade in the world, because there's still over 70 million slaves in this world, if you're passionate about ending that, you want to know how that's going to end for real? Churches being planted that spread the gospel throughout the nations. You want to end sex trafficking, you want to end drugs, you want to end poverty in the world. The primary way in which God's going to advance his kingdom to the ends of the earth is by the planting of local churches. That's why we're proud to be a part of a church planting network that's goal is to plant church planting churches. That plant churches. That plant, ch- like we could just keep, I mean like it's just like one of those things where your calculator says point three 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 three. just plant churches, plant churches, that plant churches, that plant churches. Like this is it for us. This is our mission is to plant churches that plant churches. And so giving to the local church is what's going to change the world. So it's going to change the world. So that's the primary place you should give. Above that, man, there's awesome places to give. There's awesome ministries in our town. There's, there's awesome ministries in the world. Find some. You can give to them. But again, the primary place is the local church. Here, there's a couple things I want to say about what we do with our money so that you can feel a little comfortable that what your money, what you're doing, giving to a local church is not just uh, going to build up some dude's salary or going to do stuff. Like, we are trying to change Spruce Pine, transform Burnsville, and the world. Uh, we, we, we're planning, we're helping plan a church in Morganton, about 50 minutes away. Coram Deo, they just launched their first Sunday public service two weeks ago, um, and they had eight new people come, and they had a baptism. Just awesome. And I'm being honest, it's not me, it's you guys. Like, they couldn't do what they're doing and afford to do what they're doing if you guys weren't generous. And this week, this past week, I'm excited to say that we have begun partnering with a church plant in Guatemala that's planting churches. Um, his name's Mitch. 
Mitch Munez, uh, and he's raising up. So, so I met Mitch in Orlando. Um, this dude loves Jesus and loves Guatemala. Uh, we're going to watch a video here in a second, but I want you guys to know what we're doing is uh, the way in which we're supporting Mitch in Guatemala is Mitch wants to plant more churches throughout the jungles of Guatemala. He's in a, uh, a jungle village right now, and he wants to raise up some men to lead that church, to pastor that church, so he can go back out into other jungle villages to plant more churches. So what the Grove is doing is, is helping these men who he's raising up become bivocational. What that means is it means they have two jobs, okay? So they're going to they're gonna be part-time corn farmers and part-time uh, pastors in training. But they, they can't spend the amount of time they need to learning the Bible, learning theology, learning how to preach and, and care for people unless they were getting paid to do that, okay? So we are going to be supporting them in a pastor's residency so that they can be raised up to lead this church you're about to see so Mitch can continue the mission across the jungles of Guatemala. In fact, Cayetano, one of the guys you're actually going to hear um, speak in this video is, the do, is one of the two guys we are supporting every month so that he can go work in the cornfields and then come home and learn how to pastor. So let's watch that video and see what God's doing in Guatemala. Entre las dificultades que tenemos, tenemos que siempre perseverar y luchar. Y, y siempre tener la confianza en aquel quien llevó todo en, en aquella cruz para nuestra salvación. Murió por mí, rodó su sangre y por su sangre hoy creo que soy salvo por su misericordia, por su gracia. Y esto lo, es mi historia de lo que he recibido de Dios. When we came to Guatemala, and um, we didn't know anyone, we came into the village. I wanted to share the gospel, but at the same time I was really scared. Uh, there was a school being built in one of the villages, and there was two construction workers uh, that were working on it. And so I would kind of go towards them, like I'm going to share the gospel, and then I get a little scared and I just kind of walk around them. And it got to the point where I got hungry, and so um, I bought like a family pack of uh, chicken and I decided that I was gonna go and just eat with them and, uh, and, and talk to them about Jesus. And uh, I just, I made it like a deadbolt, like I'm just gonna walk straight to them and uh, ask them if they wanted to eat. And uh, they said, yeah. And so I just, that's kind of how it started. Moving to Guatemala was nerve wracking at first, but it's something that I had been prepared to do. More than anything, the church is confused. There's such a need for healthy churches to be planted and especially in places like this in rural Guatemala where there aren't very many churches, much less healthy churches. We originally didn't come to, uh, to, to plant a church. We came um, to share the gospel. It kind of got to the point where there was uh, several people accepting Christ as their Savior that, that I realized um, that, hey, we, we need to, if we want this thing to to last or, or to go beyond a man and I, then we need to raise up uh, pastors, we need to raise up uh, deacons and leaders. Acts 29 played a, a pivotal role in, in, in our story. Um, when, when we came down and, and we just wanted to share the gospel and we saw people starting to get saved, um, I really didn't know uh, anything about how to plant a church um, at all. I mean, I couldn't have even told you what the difference between a Bible study and a church was. Uh, and so th the assessment process was unbelievably thorough and unbelievably great. We have probably about 25 adults that, uh, that are members and probably around 20 to 30 um, kids um, that, that, come, that come to church. Some of the, the, the villagers just started giving and, and asking how they can give. So a lot, most of our tithes are in corn, uh, bean, um, we've been given a, given a pig and, and, and raised it and sold it uh, and, and used those funds to, to buy, you know, chairs or, or, or take care of different needs within the congregation. I think the biggest encouragement to me is Caetano and his family and just seeing how God has transformed their lives and how 
he's continuing to use them to be a part of what we're doing here. Eh, mi nombre es Cayetano Cardona y vivo acá en el parcelamiento Los Chilitos, un lugar donde hemos trabajado mucho. Eh, esta es mi humilde casa. Soy esposo de una esposa acá donde hemos trabajado, padre de cinco hijos. Es triste y difícil vivir en una comunidad, en una aldea como esta. Se hay que salir muy lejos para trabajar y tener uno el dinero para comprar azúcar, jabón, para tener frijol por lo menos y su maíz para la tortilla. Sacrificarse uno demasiado, personas que aguantan, personas que mueren muy pronto. Antes de conocer a Cristo Jesús, mi vida no era correctamente bien, pero surgió algo muy alegre porque vi a unos hermanos que vinieron a esta aldea y primera fue mi esposa la que ella recibió ese mensaje. Y una tarde ellos vinieron a mi casa, comenzaron a, a predicar y a orar y me dijeron si quería aceptar a Cristo. Y yo entró algo a mi corazón muy fuerte y les dije, sí, quiero aceptar a Cristo. El deseo es salir con pasión y ir a predicar el Evangelio alrededor de nuestra aldea. Huilapa, Barberena, eh, como muchos lugares alrededor. Eh, ese es mi anhelo, seguir a Cristo con pasión y salir, salir con pasión a predicar su palabra, sea aquí, sea allá, sea donde Él quiera. I feel like if we only planted one church, it, it would kind of be like a failure. Uh, in the sense that um, we, I feel like I wouldn't have trained them correctly to be able to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. There's so many villages and there's so many people that don't know Jesus. And uh, there's so many people, uh, there's just a lot of people who are lost. You know, and there's a lot of people who um, are, are sinking into an eternal darkness. And so we're called to push back what's darken this world and give people an opportunity to, to be saved. We're in a battle over the eternal destiny of immortal souls. I mean, we have to, to, to give people an opportunity to know Jesus as their Savior. Whether they're born in a village or, or a city or, or wherever they might be in, in, in any corner of the world, that there would be a, a church there that they could go to and hear the gospel and be saved. So we can't just, it can't end here. We have, we have to go. Spruce Pine, your generosity is helping Mitch plant churches that plant churches. It's just amazing. Um, we're in a, uh, w a war for, for these souls. And, and, and that's a statement I love because um, in wartime, we make sacrifices. In wartime, I mean, you think about World War II and um, people literally sacrificed. All the men went off to fight and, and women took on jobs that they typically wouldn't take on and to, to sacrifice and to, so that, that we could win a war. And if we just realized what kind of war we're in now, I wonder what we would do to fight that war well. Just a couple quick things and then we're going to sing. Um, that, that's, that's where our money goes, is to planting churches. Uh, it's the biggest thing for us, is we want to plant churches that plant churches. We do stuff locally. Uh, we, we work in uh, Greenlee Primary to love those students, to love those teachers. Uh, we do this thing every year uh, because we are on Lower Street in Spruce Pine, and, and it's, it's almost Halloween. And uh, Halloween, uh, if, you, if you've been in Spruce Pine or in the rural counties for any length of time, there's no good place to trick-or-treat in a place like this. Uh, it's like a mile between driveways sometimes, and 
Um, you just like it's a lot of walking for kids and dangerous. Um, and so uh, there's uh, there's uh, English woods up here where people can can trick or treat. But then all the businesses get out of their out of their business and they hand out candy every year on Upper Lower Street and Upper Street so that kids can have a safe place to come and trick or treat to dress up and have fun. Uh, us here at the Grove, we participate in that. Um, we uh, do not see Halloween as a day to run and hide from evil things because we believe that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so we participate to bring light, to push back what's dark, and to love our neighbors. And so when we, we turn our lights on, we, let, we, we, we go outside, we hand out candy, good candy, not pretzels and apples, like that's not what we're about, like good, big candy bars. Uh, if you're into that, handing out pretzels and being healthy on Halloween, um, just repent, like don't, don't do that. Like, be generous, hand out good candy. If not, just come here and help us. Uh, the other thing we do is we had, so the first year we had like a couple pots of, of chili um, because we thought, hey, let's feed these kids too. That'll be fun. And uh, it, it's a three-hour event, and we lasted for 30 minutes, and we ran out of chili. So last year we were like, hey, let's do six or nine. I can't remember how many we did. It's either six or nine. That number's in my head, either right side up or upside down. I can't figure it out. Uh, but we had six or nine vats of soup. Uh, instead of lasting 30 minutes, we lasted an hour and a half. So this year, we've got to go big, uh, so we need your guys' help. Uh, so October 31st, save that date. It's an easy date to remember for Halloween. Um, we're going to be here, and we're going to be handing out candy and handing out soup to kids who, you can just tell, aren't getting hot meals all the time, and they just eat this stuff up. Um, if you want to know more about where money goes here, we can chat. I don't have time. Uh, Amy's already came out and gave me a look once um, about kids ministry. I don't know if that's true. She came out for something. I don't know what it was. Um, so we got to end this soon, but there's so many ways. W one of the things we're going to be talking about here probably pretty soon, uh, I know today we look like half full. Uh, October 6th, for some reason, literally, like we were trying to make our kids schedule. And everyone's like, I'm not going to be here October 6th. I'm not going to be here October 6th. I don't know what about the October 6th that's like a vacation weekend, um, but we were like, we, we, it was hard to find people for our kids' ministry this weekend. We did, so they're in there. Uh, we have some faithful people in there. But uh, typically, we are full for both gatherings. Uh, it was only in April that we went to two gatherings, so we had one full gathering. Now we typically have two full gatherings. We announced at last week's picnic that we have found a building, potentially, that we want to move into. It's just three doors down on Upper Street. Um, it is going to be amazing. It could literally be our forever home. Um, it is that incredible and spacious room for us to fit everyone back in one gathering and continue to grow. Um, and, and here's why we want to grow. We're not building some castle of just like, we want to be this big church. Uh, someone asked me this week, like, hey, what's your goal? Like, what number do you want to be at? And I was just like, I don't know how to answer. Like, till all of Mitchell County knows Jesus. Like, how about, that's our goal. And then, then we want to go to Yancey County and then Avery County. I don't have a goal of like, how many people do you want to be here? Like, everyone who doesn't know Jesus needs to know Jesus. I don't want them at the Grove necessarily, but that's our goal is to keep going till everyone knows Christ or he returns. Uh, and so we don't have a goal. We're not going to like close this thing down and be like, all right, doors are shut. Everyone can't come in anymore or no one can come in anymore. But so we want to keep growing because we want the gospel to keep going out. Um, so, so next week, hey, just real quick, and then we're gonna, I'm going to pray for us. Next week, we are going to go look at it. So come to next week's gathering. Uh, after the 9 o'clock, we're going to walk. If it's raining, bring an umbrella. Uh, we're going we're gonna to head out the door. We're going to walk up there and go check it out. Hopefully the electricity's turned back on by now. They're, they turned it off to do something. Uh, hopefully it's turned back on. If not, we'll have a bunch of flashlights. Um, we'll go look at it. After the 11 o'clock, we'll do the same thing. So come next week. Come look. Come pray in the space with us. Uh, that we'd ask God to just do amazing things in that space. Here's why we want a bigger space. Let's just be honest. Think about you here today. All of you probably in some way have been affected uh, pretty positively by a local church. Maybe not the Grove. Maybe you haven't been here long enough for the Grove. But somewhere, a local church has positively, infect, uh, positively affected you. Um, we want more room for more people to experience the gospel in community. And so we need more room for that. It's just as simple. It's not, we're not trying to build the big monster church, and we're not going to build a zip line for your kids to get picked up with. We just want some more seats so that more people can gather and hear the gospel, sing together, worship together, and love one another, so that others may see that and want in too, okay? Um, so I'm going to pray for us. Um, man, I, my, my prayer, let me just, th my prayer is that you would just be freed from any sort of idolatry of money. And, and a way to do that is to be generous. 
So let's pray. We'll respond with singing. We'll have a time of communion. You can walk up, take communion on the bar to celebrate that God has freed you from these idols. Uh, You may struggle with them, but God has freed you that you can get rid of them. Um, He has died on the, Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, and his blood has been spilt to wash you clean. And so come celebrate if you're a Christian. If you are a member of the Grove, this is your chance to give. You can give up here on the bar. You can give online. But we give generously because God has given generously to us. Let's pray and sing together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you have come and saved us, that you have loved us so generously and lavishly. God, would you be with us? You poured out your spirit in Acts chapter 2. Uh, We know it's here among us. Would you just help us feel your presence here today as we sing in response to the good news of our freedom from idolatry? And would you help lead us into greater freedom with our finances and our possessions? Father, I love you, and I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.